So I was in the car the other day, and I was listening to the oldie station, and that old- uh, Is there an oldie station in town? There is. Like, I found what? it recently. There's like three. What do you- <laughs> No, I don't know. I'm not from well, here. You're, you're on your I, Sirius XM, all the fancy new- No, I'm on my iPhone. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Well, you made fun of me for having to replace my Walkman because it was eating my tapes. So anyway. I'd do it again. I'd do it again. So I was listening to the radio. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, What's the radio? Yeah. My boyfriend's back. That old girls do up oh! song was on. And for some reason, it just occurred hey to me. La, my boyfriend's back. Gonna save my reputation. Hey, la, hey, la. My, my boyfriend's back. back. Yeah. It occurred to me it was a Christological song. Like I just heard. What? The boyfriend. Anyway. Yeah. Well, I mean, you said before, like, because we'd been talking about these things, right? That this song is kind of a scary song. It is. Yeah. So, like, when I was a kid, man, I was scared for the kid who was going to get the stuffing kicked out of him. Yeah. From the boyfriend coming back. From the boyfriend coming back. But now that you're like, I see it, right? Like, I'm thinking Revelation and Michael's (laughs) coming and he's throwing chains around Satan and chucking him into the the lake of fire. And, like, you know, it is kind of like Easter. Yeah. I mean, boyfriend's coming back, and you're going to be in trouble, forces of darkness. It's Easter. It's Easter. (laughs) Ayla, Ayla, resurrection's here. We should be a boy band. We should be a boy band. Why are we doing this podcast when we can be boy banding out there? I want to sing, and I want to dance in a group with other guys, and every time I say that, I get weird looks. Don't play with my emotions. I, no, I'm giving you a weird look now because <laughs> when you put it that way. <laughs> Hi, if you're just joining us, this is 10,000 Places where we, a theologian, a philosopher, and a campus minister, go into a room and then go with our imaginations. 10,000 Places. What are we looking for? Jesus, everywhere we can find him. My name is Alex Giltner. My name is Lewis Pearson. And I'm Justin Aquila. And this, of course, is, as we've said, 10,000 Places. Today, we're talking about Easter, and not just Easter, but the Triduum, which, if you are unaware, I'll let our resident liturgist, Justin... Oh, Lord, please don't call me a liturgist. <laughs> uh, you've already been called that. I'm the theologian. I mean, I don't want to call you the resident campus minister because, well, I guess I could call you that. You could. I work at the campus that you're the campus minister, yes. so you're kind of my campus minister, too. Does that mean when you're with students, I can come in and just be like, get out of there now. It's my turn with the campus minister. Anyway, Triduum. What is the Triduum, Justin? What is that? Triduum is the celebration of Holy Thursday, the Lord's Last Supper, Good Friday, the death of Jesus, and then Holy Saturday, which is the vigil, anticipates Jesus's resurrection and then leads us into the celebration of Easter itself. Now, I will say, just as an aside, hopefully doesn't you know keep us from getting the topic too much, but um, Easter Vigil, of course, is the one anticipatory mass that I know, Lewis, you just, you're not an anticipatory mass kind of guy. Well, it's no. It's not an anticipatory mass, yeah. That's, that's yeah, right. Yeah. So that maybe that's the difference yeah. is that's the vigil. I go, I almost never make it to the Sunday morning. Yeah, same, yeah. Mary Beth is changing me for the better, <laughs> that is for sure. So this, yeah. This is something, again, as a revert, I start to discover these things I never knew. And the advantage of going away and coming back again, I think about, is it Chesterton's novel, Man Alive? It's about a man who sees what his house really is for the first time by walking around the globe and seeing it after walking the globe and coming back and seeing it on the other side. I don't know that many Catholics would know that there's a difference between a vigil mass and a mass of anticipation. A vigil mass is an 
anticipation mass, but not all anticipation masses are vigils. A vigil mass is a mass in preparation for the Sunday mass. Different readings. It is a different liturgy. Right. Right. And, and the point this of, is the key to yeah. And the point of a vigil mass is this is a big feast that we're all getting ready for together. It's not just show up on Sunday. It's we're doing stuff together and then also Sunday. It's a prolonged celebration, preparation celebration. And what happens is when we have masses of anticipation on Saturday evening, I think the point was after Vatican II, want to canonically remove the gravity of missing a Sunday in a culture when people start to work on Sunday. Well, and for people who have jobs like doctors and nurses and ER people who have to work on Sunday because... Exactly. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so the point was, we want to make sure that the faithful can fulfill their Sunday obligation. And they saw, well, the Jews traditionally counted the day as beginning at sundown to sundown. And so if we go by this Jewish understanding... Which we don't because all the anticipation masses are like 4.30 in the afternoon. Yeah. But But to go with the logic... It's meant to follow Vespers. So as long as you've done Vespers in the Liturgy of the Hours for Sunday, there's an anticipatory Vespers called Evening Prayer 1, and there's Evening Prayer 2, which happens on Sunday night. So the anticipatory Mass falls after you celebrate Evening Prayer 1 of the feast. And if you were to do Vespers in a communal celebration, there's actually a a dimension where the priest will incense or the deacon can incense the altar. So Evening Prayer becomes oriented toward the liturgical celebration Mm. that is going to be... Now, before us. And correct me if I'm wrong, but a vigil mass does have to be after the sun goes down, right? At least Easter is supposed Easter to be. Is. Correct. But that's not for all vigil correct. masses. Uh, okay, yeah. thank you. And I think the point, the reason this is relevant for talking about the triduum is anything can be approached with the wrong attitude, and in that way we can ruin what it's supposed to be doing for us. Anticipation masses are there for people who cannot, for whatever reason, make it on a Sunday. Typically, that was the original thinking as far as I understand. And so it's a good thing to allow the faithful to fulfill a Sunday obligation, and they know this is what I'm doing. I have this ability now. The wrong attitude is, I want to get it out of the way. Yeah. Right? And so if this is the prevailing attitude that just takes over in our practice, and we don't think about why we go to an anticipation mass as opposed to a Sunday mass, it just becomes our habit. That can be okay, but if your habit is either completely unreflective or driven by the wrong attitude, you might ask yourself, who cares about the truth? I'm like, you know, I got it out of the way. I did my mass for Easter. And so that kind of attitude can prevent us from seeing that the full joy that's being given to us, it doesn't even occur to us to ask, why should I go to all of them? We just think, well, I got to this one. And, you know, if you're a super holy guy, I guess you can go to all of them if you want to, but you quote unquote, don't have to, right? Yeah. I think the first thing I would say to kind of broach this topic then is, as we've talked about in the past, part of the reason you go to all of them is because it is actually one liturgy. Triduum is the three-part mass. Three-part three liturgy. Part liturgy yeah. Excuse me. Yeah. There is more than one mass. And one of the Good Friday celebration is not itself a mass. Right. Yeah. So maybe we can start with, with actually the Holy Week experience, mm. where we begin actually with Palm Sunday. But actually, this is appropriate, right? Everyone's going crazy for Hosanna. Right, right. And then, we know how it ends, but keep going. Yeah. And the Palm Sunday liturgy, I, I found to be very beautiful because there is this excitement at the beginning. We read the account of Jesus walking. But very quickly, the liturgy takes a turn, and we're oh, reading, yeah. we're reading the passion. Well, it is supposed to be very joyful, as it was in the triumphal entry, right? Until it takes quite a turn for the worse, right? Yeah. So our weekend begins with this reflection, this initial. In case you forgot what the Holy Week is about, 
It is about Jesus' passion and his death. My favorite, don't want to dwell on this too much, but my favorite part of Holy Week, I mean, forget Jesus rising from the dead and dying for my sins, is- I mean, it's overblown. It's overblown. Yeah. Because it is not as cool as what used to be called Spy Wednesday. The account of Judas preparing to betray Jesus was read in the, is still read I've in the gospel. This. Why that, is it so that's spy? A, is that an Anglican word? It or sounds or like an Anglican word. I think word. so. It's kind of yeah, like Monday so. Thursday is uh-huh. an Anglican word. Yeah. But it became part of the American church. So this yeah. Spy Wednesday was passed on to me in the community I grew up in. And is it spy like a spy? Yeah, Judas is like preparing to. He's being a spy. Yeah, spy hmm. on Jesus to betray dun, him. Dun, 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 looking dun, for dun. something to catch Jesus. Yeah. So this is the highlight. Clearly, the net. It's clearly the highlight of Holy Week, right? Because nothing's cooler than I spies. Sense sarcasm. Spies. Right. Nothing. No, I'm very serious. I observe Spy Wednesday. Dude, I'm think, not quite okay. sure how I observe Spy Wednesday. I think we should but do I just make sure an interpretive dance where somebody acts like they're a secret agent. And yeah. like looks around with a gun, maybe their handgun. Yeah, like their hands in the form of a gun. <laughs> I have I have a hard time with Palm Sunday. So one of my spiritual weaknesses is presumption and thinking. Just as a general illustration, I remember thinking because I, I went to Catholic school growing up, and we get the lessons of what's going on, and Jesus talking about the sign of Jonah, and Jesus talking about this temple, you know, being destroyed, and I can raise it in three days, and people saying you can't do that, you know. And realizing, oh, Jesus means he's going to die and he's going to raise from the dead. And none of the apostles know. And I remember sort of thinking, patting myself on the back, I know and the apostles don't. So I'm smarter, I'm closer to Jesus, and I love Jesus more than the apostles. Highly presumptuous. And so it's this kind of grade school attitude that I carried into my adulthood. And so Palm Sunday for me, I won't say, it's odd to say that a mass can be a spiritual temptation. I don't want to put it that way. But, it can be an occasion for such. Right. I find it's myself- not on it per se through its own nature an occasion for such. It's easy for us in the middle of uh, being drawn into a mystery to be distracted by whatever It's really, our it's easier is. than other times, I yeah, feel like. Yeah, But it feels like a mockery to me when we're saying Hosanna to Jesus and knowing these very same people are going to be saying crucify him in a matter of days and thinking, you don't mean this because in a few days you're going to turn on this guy like that. And so it's hard for me not to think that way when we're going through Palm Sunday and try to really realize the conviction that I should actually be happy as these people, I, I assume, actually were happy. And at the same time, I actually am this fair weather, a disciple of Jesus, as these people were fair weather fans of him. And so Palm Sunday, I think for me, is kind of a sobering beginning of Holy Week because I have that temptation towards thinking this is mockery. And then judging these people as being the mockers of Jesus as opposed to seeing myself in their shoes. Yeah, yeah. But I wonder if Spy Wednesday for – like, why does it stick out for you? That, like, I talked about my personal thing with Palm Sunday. What about Spy Wednesday for you? Yeah, I mean, aside from the fact that I just think it's a cool little custom, mm. actually. Highlighting it in that way has led me into a reflection on the ways in which I betray Jesus, to put it tritely, through the daily sins of my life. And I don't mean that in the sense of, like, constantly – I've had to learn to mature. It's like, yeah, every time you heard the O line, every time you sin, you drive a nail into Jesus. I'm actually not sure how helpful that is. But in the context of faithfulness, mm. I'm called to be a faithful disciple. And uh, like Israel, I fall in that all the time. One of my favorite depictions of the crucifixion, I know we're not to the Good Friday yet, is Rembrandt's. And mm. one of the reasons I love it so much is because if you look in the corner, there, there's someone who's clearly dressed up in a 16th or 17th century getup, 
because Rembrandt painted him into the scene. And, you know, Rembrandt's not saying that he's like Mary and John and Mary Magdalene. He's saying, I'm just like one of them. And so, like, here to contemplate Jesus on the cross, and there is something real about contemplating that we are all these different personas, right. characters in the gospel, including those who praise him on Sunday and then are screaming, crucify him on Friday. That's an interesting tension, dwelling too long on our own sin versus being oriented toward the Christ who is going to be saving us from our sins. Yeah, and it's the both and that I think Christianity, and it usually it's like Catholics are both and, but I think Christianity is both and. That's like the way that it works. And so like, I'm not a big quoter of Martin Luther, but you know, simel peccator et justus, simultaneously sinner and justified. There's a reality to that. Yeah. And one of the things I think is really cool, oh, who pointed this out? It was Raymond Schwager, who is a um, Girardian theologian. He writes in the Drama of Salvation about how even in the typology of the Old Testament, you can see Christ in not only, say, like David, but also in Saul, the rejected king. Hmm. You can see there's always a rejected one who goes along with the chosen one. And even like the battle between Moses and Pharaoh, Christ is both because Christ takes us on. And that's what he's doing. He's taking the place of the rejected one, which should be us, so that we can take his place as chosen and glorified one. And that is, I think, the drama of the Triduum, the drama of the entire Holy Week, the performance that we're doing is that we are all these different parts of this story. We are chosen, we are elect, but we are also the rejectors, and we are also the rejected. Talk about 10,000 places. I just saw glory in Saul and Pharaoh that I've never seen with that. That's amazing. amazing. (laughs) But but Justin. Yeah. Listeners, if you're familiar with the practice of using, it's sometimes called Ignatian contemplation, but it's not exclusive to Ignatius, where you imagine yourself in the scene of a scripture passage, I actually think it's very healthy, as you're both alluding to, that to not get stuck with one character if you're imagining the crucifixion. We can simultaneously pray with Mary to mm-hmm. in the sorrow of the one who watches the beloved be tortured and killed. We can meditate with John, who hears the word that we are like John as well, who Mary is entrusted to us as a representative of the church, mm-hmm. the body. We can be the Roman centurion who in that moment, is, as he's lifted up, this truly is the son of God. We can be the repentant thief. We can be the mocking thief on the other side of Jesus. There's so many different ways to enter this mystery. And we will have been all of them at one point if we live the full Christian life. So as we move toward Holy Thursday, I probably say this depending on the time of the year. This is my favorite feast, but... Holy Thursday. Yeah. When we get into December, I'll say it's it's, uh, Guadalupe's feast and (laughs) it'll change. Yeah. But I feel a special, you know, personal connection with Holy Thursday. Like this is the day when the Eucharist is instituted. I actually also grew up thinking that Holy Thursday was a holy day of obligation. And I was a little bit scandalized or maybe just disappointed when I learned as an adult, it's not. And I thought, but it's the institution of the Eucharist. What do you mean? It's the day when Jesus is arrested. What do you mean? Like this is the day of drama. You're starstruck. Yeah. I love Holy Thursday. And then Good Friday is so desolate because it's the one day of the, there's no mass, right? Right. There's no Eucharist in the tabernacle. And I think these two things, it was impressed upon me growing up in Catholic schools that these two days are unlike every other day. Good Friday isn't unlike every other day in a primary sense. 
only in a derivative sense. And it derives from the cause that is Holy Thursday. And the fulfillment in the Easter Vigil. And so I would suggest that we need to see, this is why the church celebrates as one liturgy. It's all the dimensions of one mystery. The Paschal mystery. The Paschal mystery, right? And so we're entering, the liturgy begins on Holy Thursday. And one of my favorite lines in all the rubrics of liturgy on Holy Thursday, it says, all depart in silence. Because mm-hmm. the liturgy continues, it just times out. Well, because the I altar has out. been covered now. Uh, stripped. Or, yeah. yeah. Some, there are some traditions where they'll cover it with black cloth. Ah. I'm not, I've never seen that. It's it, like a ransacking just to see the place. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. And the tabernacle's hanging open. Right. And then we move into the experience of Holy Thursday, uh, Good Friday, rather, where we come into the church, and the liturgy just begins with a prostration of the ministers. There's no invitation to anything, often done in utter silence. And then we again depart the Good Friday liturgy in silence, and we return in mystery to the darkness of the church. We have the emergence of the Paschal candle, which is the associated with the light of Christ. And then we sing this great hymn of praise. It seems a little strange, but we sing this great hymn of praise to the candle and that which it represents. And then that Easter proclamation, the story of salvation is told from Exodus to, to the from resurrection. Creation. From creation, true. Yeah. yeah. And then we enter into the, in case we've forgotten, right? We enter into the proclamation of the scriptures, the Old Testament readings. I'm a big fan of when they do all seven of the Old Testament mm-hmm. readings I, mm-hmm. yeah, I hate with the responsorial mm-hmm. Psalms, yes. and each of them has their own collect, the opening prayer that explains the reading, the and context of the, the reading. Th- isn't that the part where we also... That you're thinking of Good Friday. No, is no, I am thinking yeah. of Good Friday. When yeah. we do all but the prayers readings, of the faithful. Yeah, you're yeah. right, you're like, right. This makes us a people. It's like sitting down and hearing Grandpa tell us the story. Like, exactly. This is who we are. It yeah. just That's yes. how I love how it feels yes. with all the readings, yeah. Yes, and then we re- the Gloria returns, of course heard it on Holy Thursday, but it's back again for good. And then we read the gospel, the account of Jesus' resurrection. And then if candidates and catechumens are received in the church, they are received in the church that evening. And then we enter the mass and celebration of the Eucharist as normal. The, the Eucharist is placed back in the tabernacle again. And now we're ready to celebrate the Easter season. And, and that is when the angels come in and sing my boyfriend's back <laughs> and you're gonna be in trouble. That band was actually called The Angels, by the way. Was it? Could not have set that joke up better. <laughs> wow. I believe that wow. God commanded history unfold just as such for this very moment. Crying out in the desert. A time such as this. <laughs> of 20th century pop music. Are they a one-hit wonder, The Angels? I think so. I certainly don't remember. But in any case, I think, so first of all, Justin, you just beautifully laid that all out. That was really quite gorgeous. And seeing the entire big picture and seeing how it really is one story being told. And the foot washing ceremony, I want to go back to that just really quick. On Holy Thursday. On Holy Thursday. I do think that it's so important. One, because John chooses not to tell the institution story. Right. Of but the chooses Eucharist, in, right. Uh, the, the Eucharist, right. But instead chooses to tell this foot washing scene. And then Jesus gives this prolonged sermon that ends up going on as they're walking out to the Garden of Olives, the Olivet Garden, and ends in this great prayer for unity. And the foot washing, I think we don't really, I think it gets kind of, first of all, I went to a church that actually practices that we all wash each other's feet and there's a procession. And yeah, it takes longer, but I think it's so much better 
than just the priest picking 12 dudes to wash their feet in front of us. I think it's so much better when we go through this whole thing. And I'm not usually into those kind of like, you know, sort of schmaltzy sorts of things, but I think it was such a powerful experience doing that and like washing the foot of someone I don't even know, which doesn't always happen if you're with a family, but I was by myself. And then uh, this is very early on. And then having somebody else that I don't know wash my foot. It was just really crazy Mm -hmm. because what are we supposed to be there? I'm Jesus washing this person's foot. This is Jesus washing my foot. It doesn't matter who it is. So anyway, but regardless of that, there's more to it than that simply because they're celebrating Passover, right? Right, And they're about to go through the Red Sea, which we know is baptism. And then we know baptism is a washing of our conscience, okay? It represents Allah first, Peter, the flood. Like all of these symbols of water are coming together. And then we go into the tomb in Good Friday. And then when we get to the Easter vigil and we follow the candle in, which as you rightly said, is the light of Christ, it's also the pillar of fire leading the Israelites. Like the Passover imagery and the washing of water, the leading light, all of these things are happening that are exploding this entire creational story that is culminating at Easter. And I think as you're telling the story over again and you're focusing on particular devotions we experience in the liturgy, maybe an encouragement to those who typically don't observe the entire triduum by going to church or for people who do to become more mindful of what we're doing, it's very visceral, right? So on Thursday, we have this foot washing. It's not something we do for the rest of the year. Right. On Friday, many places have a particular devotion to the corpus, right? The crucifix where people can go up and kiss the foot of the cross. This isn't something we typically do either. And then on Saturday, we have this sort of the sights and sounds experience with the candles and all the rest. So every day is, I mean, I don't want to sort of just reduce it to, you can have these new experiences. Right. But there's a visceral quality to the triduum that's different for every day that leads up to just the great glory of Easter Sunday. I mean, even I just, especially when it's really springtime outside, Mm. I love the lighting of the fire at the beginning. Like Mm -hmm. some of my best memories of my entire life are waiting in this windy but warm darkness. And one of my most favorites was it took forever for the priest to get the fire lit because (laughs) Uh the wind was so hard. Uh And then we're all like trying to light our candles and hold them. And then we process in the church. But it was just, it's so beautiful. Oh my gosh, I love the triduum. So I I remember seeing my, yeah, I can, in my memory, see the kids running too close to the fire. Yes, it's so good. It's so communal and it's so powerful. And we're all caught in this moment together. The triduum actually literally exhausts me. Hmm. It is. Uh, I I hate when I have to work on Easter Monday. Because I am I so spent, class. yeah, from the liturgy, from the celebration and the emotional roller coaster that it is, and the it's celebration, amazing. right? I love too. it. Yes, yeah. that's. I agree. And like, I don't hold classes on Easter Monday. We have a blessing this year that we, we had don't it even off. have right. to. Yeah. yeah, I mean, oh. By the way, Justin, I just want to say again, as we wrap up, I just want to say again, like for our listeners, listen to that part where Justin lays it all out again because that was fantastic, just beautiful, and. I think that to get why you want to go to the whole triduum is really to understand why it's one single story that's being told with all these different parts that are all – it's this nested network of illusions and concepts and practices all coming together. Illusions, right? Yeah, illusions, not illusions. There's no illusions. Nobody comes (laughs) up and starts doing magic tricks. 
It's an illusion, Michael. <laughs> yeah, and if But, they uh, do, don't go to that church. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> That's one of the bad ones, people. <laughs> and certainly do not go to a church where they do sing the angels. One hit. I looked it up. <laughs> My boyfriend's back. However Christological that song may be. Yeah. After party only, not during the mass. That's right, that's right. So I just want to, in the final kind of wrap up, to reference the ancient homily that we read on Holy Saturday as we're preparing for Easter Vigil. In the Office of Readings. In the Office of the Readings. It's one of my favorite moments in the whole thing, and I think it just captures how a creational event is happening. We talked in our Laetare Sunday episode about how the rhythms of creation themselves preach the gospel, one could say. The gospel of death and resurrection, Mm -hmm. of new life, of waiting and groaning in anticipation for the coming of the sons of glory when the son of glory comes and calls us home. And so as our resident liturgist, oh my gosh, um, (laughs) who may or may not have that sermon already opened because he's so liturgical. Do you know the the old joke about the difference between a liturgist and a terrorist? I've never heard this joke. What is this joke? Sometimes you can negotiate with terrorists. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. It's so true. (laughs) I encourage our listeners actually on YouTube, someone has recorded themselves reading this homily in a very appropriately dramatic way with music in the background. One of the things I noticed when my daughter was seven, I would play this in the car once, and she kept then asking throughout the entire Easter season, "Uh, Dad, play the recording about being awoken. And she, I realized, was memorizing huge chunks of the sermon by listening to it. Did you let her? Or did you make her wait till Holy Saturday? No, I, I let her because oh. I was so proud as a parent. <laughs> Fair reason. So anyway, if you can't find the text, although I encourage you to find the text, you can also listen to it. What do they search for? Look under on YouTube for this homily under Holy Saturday Ancient Homily. It should pop up in the okay. search. Maybe say like Awake, oh, uh, Awake O Sleeper. I think it's under Awake O Sleeper as yeah. well. Yeah. So maybe as we exit, I'll just read an excerpt from this. Yeah. Something strange is happening. There is a great silence on earth today, a great silence and stillness. The whole earth keeps silence because the king is asleep. The earth trembled and is still because God has fallen asleep in the flesh, and he has raised up all who have slept ever since the world began. God has died in the flesh, and hell trembles with fear. He has gone to search for our first parent as for a lost sheep, Greatly desiring to visit those who live in darkness and in the shadow of death, he has gone to free from sorrow the captives Adam and Eve, he who is both God and the son of Eve. The Lord approached them bearing the cross, the weapon that had won him the victory. At the sight of him, Adam, the first man he had created, struck his breast in terror, cried out to everyone, My Lord be with you all. Adam answered him, And with your spirit. He took him by the hand and raised him up, saying, Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Wow, that makes me super hungry for Easter. Mm. I got uh, I got a fever, and the only prescription oh. is some Easter. Uh, thank you <laughs> so much. That is why this podcast right. is called 10,000 10, Places. Places. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, I'm Alex Giltner. I'm Lewis Pearson. 
And I'm Justin Aquila. God bless and have a wonderful celebration of the mystery of Christ's death and resurrection. Amen. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit SpokeStreet.com.